0: Good morning, Bel Air. Good morning. morning. Boy, what a great morning as we gather and worship. Many joining us online as well. Some people will be listening to this after the fact. Uh, Two quick things while we're here together. This is your last Sunday to be part of our 35 year tradition of giving Thanksgiving feasts, not just Thanksgiving meals, but Thanksgiving feasts, to 13,000 individuals in Los Angeles. We've got a great opportunity. Tomorrow morning, people are going to be coming here early before the sun rises. That's where we're praying for no rain just for a little bit. We need the rain here in California, but we're praying for no rain in the morning. But even if it does, we've got plans. We've been preparing for that uh, to put together 1,300 Thanksgiving baskets inboxes that will be delivered prayerfully throughout the city for people in need and this isn't just about caring for people's temporary physical needs this is about sending the message and hope and love of jesus christ throughout this city this is part of how we seek for people and neighborhoods in this city to be revived and renewed in fact this is the last sunday so you can be a part of giving towards that in fact in your bulletin in your program this little card if you haven't noticed already There's an opportunity for you to give financially towards that. Now, if you were to give $40, that gives a feast to 10 people. It's phenomenal when you think about that. And some of you have already given generously. I want to thank you for that. Some of you are going to give today. Some of you are going to show up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 10 a.m. tomorrow morning serving. It's going to be freezing in the morning, but we don't care because we love the fact that we get to do this. John Isaacs, you ready? You ready for this? You ready for this, huh? And the deacons are ready for this. How many of you are serving tomorrow morning early? Just put your hands up. Let's give a thanks for those people. I'll be joining you. It's going to be a great morning. But know that we had to make a tough decision this week. The money wasn't coming in, so we said, well, let's, should we just give a little less to the city, or should we step out in faith and say, God, would you, through us, do a amazing, miraculous thing. So we're prayerfully stepping out in faith, and we believe that God will give through us the amount of money to cover those 13,000 meals. Some of you can be part of that today. You can give either today via check or online. You can give through our PayPal app, but know that that is the last opportunity today to give towards those things. In addition, we have a long tradition as a church family of gathering one Sunday a year to prayerfully express our commitment in the next calendar year. Over the years, we've called it by different names, in-gathering Sunday, uh, a harvest Sunday, a stewardship Sunday, and this happens to be one of those Sundays. People who call Ballard their church home will faithfully say, God, how would you use me and spend me and give through me to what God is doing in this church, in this city, around the nation and around the globe. So if this is your church home, you've got an opportunity to really experience what it means for us to collectively give. We can do so much more together than we can do as individuals. And so in our 9 a.m. service, our 901, now in our 11, tonight in our six, people will come forward and they'll place those commitments into the basket for the next year. If this is not your church home, Just see this as a moment where the church family is coming forward in an act of worship, simply given in response to who God is in our lives. We don't pay for God's love. He gives it to us freely. And so all that we do, all the service, all the giving, all the love that we lavish upon each other in this city is simply in response to that great love that God has for us. And that opens a season through the end of the calendar year where people will come forward either throughout the week or they'll mail it in. Some people have already mailed it in or even today or these Sundays to the end of the year of that commitment for the next year. But right now I've got a question for you. What comes out of your life when you are pressed? I mean like really pressed. When you're pressed by other people's expectations for you. When you're pressed by the deadlines that you're not going to be able to meet? What happens when you're pressed by your ever-growing list of emails, to-do lists, shopping lists? What happens when you're pressed by your narrow funds, your slim chances for survival? What happens when you're pressed? I mean like really pressed. In a way where you realize, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how this is going to work out. What comes out of your life when you're pressed? Let me ask it a different way. Are you an orange or a cell phone? You see an orange and a cell phone, they do really well kind of in their natural environment. You know, an orange in a fruit basket, sitting there on the counter. Non-pressed, right there. I mean, it looks good. It's great. You can peel it. You can eat it. That's fantastic. A cell phone in its natural environment. You know, one of those phones that got recalled recently. It does well when it's not pressed, when it's in your hand. I mean, you can, you, you can Skype your family that you can't visit for the holidays. You can order things online. You, you, you can find out informations. You can get yourself out of being alive. It's amazing. Both of those things, an orange and a cell phone, do really well in their natural environment. But what happens when they're pressed? You press an orange. It's almost even more valuable. In this city, it costs more money for pressed orange juice than the amount of oranges. It becomes more valuable. You put it in a juicer and something terrific comes out. of it. You put a cell phone into a juicer. <laughs> it's, it's not terrific, it's toxic. It's now lost its value. It's now good for nothing. Are you an orange or are you a cell phone? What comes out of your life when you're pressed? As you get getting pressed this season, Are terrific things coming out of you or are toxic things coming out of you? Are you like me that often says, man, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm I'm no good for anybody. Or are you like those that you know in your life that even when they're up against the wall, even when it seems like there's no way out, even when it's gone from stage three to stage four, even though they just lost their job, there is something that comes out of their life that is beyond terrific. It's life-giving, it's joy-giving, it's filled with peace. What comes out of your life when you're pressed? Is it bitterness, rage, anger, sarcasm? Or is it something sweet and terrific? Is it a shout or it is it a song? Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, I would say there's no person, no human ever in the history of humanity that ever has been or ever will be pressed as much as Jesus was pressed. And in fact, when Jesus was agonizing on the cross that afternoon for many, many hours, Scripture records that Jesus said seven different things. What came out of the life of Jesus when he was pressed on the cross? One of those things was this statement You find it in Matthew, you find it in Mark, and it's this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, when you just read that at first blush, you might interpret that many different ways. In fact, when I was a kid, when I was young, I first heard that story. I heard that reading from Scripture, and I thought, well, that's odd. Isn't this guy supposed to be strong and mighty and powerful? And now he seems weak. He seems almost, dare I say it, he almost seems like he's whining. My God, my God, why, why, why have you forsaken me? And for many, many years, I always struggled with what came out of Jesus when he was being pressed on the cross. But you've got to understand where that phrase came from. And when you begin to understand where it came from, you'll actually realize that what came out of Jesus was very, very different than just a question to get information On one hand, so profound that the very God who came to dwell with us here relates to us so much that even God in the flesh asks the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I love the fact that God knows what it's like to suffer. But it's more than that. Jesus is not just out to get information, not just an answer to a question. We'll quickly see that he's there to give information. If you have your Bibles, open those up to Psalm 22. If you're new, uh, there's some red books right in front of you. That is our Pew Bible. If you're joining us online, we're going through the New Revised Standard Version. If you have that Pew Bible, it's on page 435, and it's Psalm 22. I'm going to read for us verses 27 through 31. And if you don't own a Bible, I encourage you to take one with you for free. And I love the fact that people are taking us up on that. We can easily replace those. Would rather have them in your hands than sitting here all week. And I hear that people are online hearing that and are actually calling in and messaging in saying, Hey, can you, can you send me one of those Bibles? That's awesome! If you live in Tokyo, check your mail. <laughs> You'll see what happens this week. Psalm 22, verses 27 through 31. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim His deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that He has done it. This, my friends, concludes just the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. All right, so a moment ago, I shared with you that phrase, one of seven that is recorded of Jesus from the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then now our scripture readings from Psalm 22, How are these connected? I'm going to ask you, what do you think? How how on earth, how are these two related? Did I just make a mistake and ask us to read the wrong one? Or are these connected at all? What do you think? How are these connected? You can shout it out, it's safe here. Doesn't feel connected, does it? I mean, Drew, you're talking about a, a guy on a cross shouting out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And then you just had us read from Psalm 22, like a thousand years earlier. What, What on earth does this, how are these, how are these related? You see, that's why it's so important for us to understand that all of scripture, all of scripture is interconnected. Keep those Bibles open and look at verse one of Psalm 22. Somebody shout it out when you get there. What a great, great connection. But what does it mean? You see, Jesus from the cross, when he is pressed, what comes out of his lips? What comes out of his life? What comes out of his mouth? Psalm 22, one. Scripture comes out of his life. When he is pressed, experiencing the most unimaginable pain In fact, the pain on the cross, they had to come up with a new word to describe that pain. It's the word where we translate into excruciating. In the Latin, it literally means from the cross, out of the cross comes that pain. And Jesus, what does he do? He quotes scripture. You see, Psalm 22 has everything to do with Jesus. And Jesus has everything to do with Psalm 22. And because of that, Psalm 22 and Jesus have everything to do about you. And you will discover there's a resource here that will change your life if you open up your heart and your mind to it. To give you a resource, to give you a sense of strength, to give you something that you can't give yourself, that nobody else can give you, no thing you could ever buy, nothing nothing ever could give you what Psalm 22 and Jesus can give you. So what's this about? How are these connected? And what does this have to do with us? Especially as we go into this season, because I've got to tell you, friends, you're about to get pressed. It's called the holidays. <laughs> Some of you are pressed, you're already pressed. I mean, you just live pressed, so you're you're short on time, you're short on money, you're short on opportunities, and throughout the year, you don't need the holidays to be pressed, but maybe for some of you, that's getting ratcheted up even more. Or throughout the year, things come easy, things are good, but now in the holidays, you've got that dinner to cook. And this year, you're going to try smoking the turkey or barbecuing the, the quiche or whatever it is. And you're thinking, how on earth I've got to do something new for the family? Now I've got the in-laws. My kids got married and the in-laws, they own a restaurant. How am I going to do this? And you got, you're, you're not even here right now. You're streaming this online from the grocery store, <laughs> trying to figure out how on earth you're going to do this. You're, you feel pressed. Somebody walked up to me after the night and they said, I've got to cook for 21 people and then take all that food to somebody else's house, I'm pressed. Some of you, you're pressed going into Friday, Black Friday, and you're thinking this is it, I'm finally gonna get that toy for my grandkids, for my kids, for my spouse, for me, I'm gonna wait in line, 3 a.m., I'm gonna show up, what's gonna happen, you're gonna get pressed in line, in the dark, in the cold. And you're going to be running for that toy, whatever it is, for you or for somebody else. And somebody's going to get right in front of you. They're going to get it. You're going to be pressed. You're be like, now what do I do? Some of you are going to be so late getting to the airport. You're going to realize in that moment, I should have left earlier. It's 15 minutes. My gate's going to close. And I can't figure out where to drop my bags. And your spouse and your kids or your parents are going to be like, we should have left earlier. You're going to be pressed in that moment. What's going to come out of your life? Will it be terrific or toxic? Will it be bitter or sweet? Let's take a look at Psalm 22 and what that has to do with you and me. Let me just breeze through this. Psalm 22. This is a psalm of David, King David, David and Goliath, perhaps the greatest human king that has ever lived, leader of the nation of Israel. Scripture says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. Let's take a look at some of this. In fact, it says, if you breeze down, you look at verses 6 and 8. This is written by King David, but in verses 6 and 8, he is saying that I'm a worm. I'm not a human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. So David is saying that he is on display publicly, and he's being ridiculed in public If you go down to verse 15, it's on the next page in your pew Bible. Verse 15 says, my mouth is dried up like a pot My tongue sticks to my jaws. He is literally dying of thirst. In verse 17, it says that he's so emaciated that you can see his bones. I can count all my bones, verse 17 says. They stare and they gloat over me. Verse 16 says this. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. Some translations say my hands and feet have been pierced. Verse 18, it says that people are now casting lots for his clothes. That's what executioners would do. The executioners would get the clothes of the one that they would be executing. When did this ever happen to David? When was he ever ridiculed that much in public, dying of thirst, so emaciated you could see his bones, with people casting lots for his clothes? When was David ever in a public execution? In fact, historians have studied perhaps the life of David more than any other leader in the biblical era of Israel, throughout the Old Testament. We have people within Scripture talking about David. We have people outside of Scripture talking about David. And they know for a fact that he was never in this place. What's going on here? But it goes on. Take a look at verse 20 and 21. It talks about needing to be rescued. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. This is serious. This is significant. There is a need for rescue. But then it goes on. Look at verse 27. Actually, verse 22 before we get there. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. It's not only a cry for rescue, but there's this anticipation of rescue to it gets to the point in verse 27 where it says this. And this is what we read before. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. When did it ever happen that King David... Was on public display, getting executed, cried out for help, was rescued in a way that led to all people on all the earth to bow down and worship the King, Kings, and Lord of Lords. When did that ever happen? And you look at the life of David, that never happened. So you've got a choice. Either look at that and you say, well, this is wrong, let's throw it out. Next, please, next resource. Or you actually do the work that I said we have to do a moment ago to know that all of Scripture is connected. You see, there's a clue here. Go to Acts 2 verse 31 that very clearly says what this is all about. This is the first sermon that was ever given by the early church, by Peter, the one who had denied Christ three times. He says something phenomenal. In the midst of that first sermon... Let's start with verse 29, actually, as we get to 31. It's on page 886 in your pew Bible. Speaking of the nation of Israel. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 31. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. And what Peter tells us is this. That Psalm 22 has everything to do with Jesus. That a thousand years before Jesus hung on a cross suffering, filled with sorrow, dying the death so that we don't have to after he lived the perfect life that we never could. That that psalm inspired by God's spirit was an image of a greater king a king greater than David Jesus is an ancestor of David from the lineage of David and so thousand years before David is through the power of the spirit talking about one to come there is a messiah coming a king who is coming who's going to cry out my God my God why have you forsaken me people will surround him they will pierce his hands and his feet. He's going to be dying of thirst. He's going to be so amazing that you'll be able to see his bones. They're going to cast lots. But what's going to happen? He's going to be rescued. And that rescue, after that pressing, is going to lead to something that you'll never imagine. That every person on earth, that all the nations, not just the Jewish people, but all people, will find that peace and that joy and that satisfaction, that true identity and protection of now being God's. You see, Psalm 22 is all about Jesus and when Jesus is on the cross, what comes out of his life in the greatest pressing you could ever imagine? Scripture comes out. Even Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, that out of the overflow of the heart, the tongue speaks. What you fill up in your heart, what you fill up in your mind, Especially when you're pressed, what comes out reveals what's on the inside. And in the greatest historical moment of injustice, Jesus is speaking this psalm. But is he speaking it? Go back to Psalm 22. Some of you might have flipped forward to Acts or put it away. Go to Psalm 22 again. You see, what's so fascinating about Scripture is that we get it in print, but originally when people would receive it, they would hear it. You see, we're pretty literate people. We're a pretty literate city. We're a pretty literate society with the invention of the printing press, it actually spread literacy throughout the world. And so many people receive scripture today very differently than they received it in the first century or in David's time. You see, people who couldn't read or write would gather together and they would hear the reading or sometimes the singing of God's word. And back then, there was no chapters, there was no verses. There was no Psalm chapter 22. We added that years later for ease of reference. There was simply the Psalms. And what does it say about Psalm 22 or about this Psalm? It says this. Look on the top before verse 1. It says, to the leader, according to the deer of the dom, a Psalm of David. Now, some translations say to the choir master, to the worship leader, to the tune of the deer of the dawn. You see, this psalm was meant to be sung. Do you have any idea how significant that is? That the only time God's people would ever hear this psalm is when it was sung. You see, songs are powerful. Songs actually enter our brain through a different path than just spoken word. And in fact, if I was to, we'll try this as an exercise. If I was to kind of get us to, to sing something, I could reference it and see if we can get there this way. So why don't we, let, let, let's start with this song. Why don't we sing a song that was written in 1908 by Albert Von Tilzer. Are you ready? Let's go, one, two, three. It didn't work. All right, let me try, uh, well, let me add, when you hear the lyricist, the one who wrote the words, okay, yes, 1908, Albert Von Tilzer was the composer, but Jack Norworth, he was the one that wrote the words. Ready, one, two, three. Well, what if I just said, take me out to the ball game? Or what if I did, take me out to the ball game, Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back for this root, root, root for. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, hold on, hold on, (laughs) hold on. We were a very divided community, nation, church last week. I see some Cubs fans and Dodger fans and Angel fans, but see what happens is, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Something happens when we sing. Isn't it almost impossible not to join in. Isn't it almost impossible to even if you hear Oh say can you see or Amazing Grace or the boys are back in town or whatever song. (laughs) Isn't it almost impossible for you not to hear the song being sung at least in your heart? And so, Jesus, in being pressed in the greatest, most intense pressing of all time, does he sing? This psalm that was meant to be to the tune of the deer of the dawn. A professor came up to me after the 9 a.m. service and said, Did you know that scholars believe that tune came from shepherds? watching the sun rise every morning in the Judean hills. And there was a set of hills that were higher and higher and higher. And as the sun would rise, it would crest over the smallest hill. And as it began to rose still behind the hills, you would then see it on the next higher hill. And it gave this image of this light leaping higher and higher and higher until the sun fully rose. I don't know what that song sounded like, but I can guarantee you that when Jesus from the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whether he said it or sang it, every single person heard that song in their hearts. Singing from the cross. What a thought. But Jesus wasn't just trying to get information, but was trying to communicate and to give information that Psalm 22 is all about me, and I'm all about Psalm 22, and this is how it's all about you. Because Jesus was pressed for a purpose. The first Adam in Scripture we see in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 was given this command. Obey me and you'll live. Scripture refers to Jesus as the second Adam. His command from God was this, obey me to the point of death. And Jesus was willing to go to the cross, not as a victim, but he went victorious. Why? The book of Romans in 1 John 4 says this, that God wanted to demonstrate his love. He didn't want to just tell you he didn't want to just think about how much he loves you. He wants to demonstrate his love to you in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were the ones that deserved to go to the cross, while we were the ones that deserved to, to do those things and to experience all of that on the cross, that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. As it says in First Corinthians, that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was perfect, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you have any idea the gift that God is wanting you to open and to receive and to experience the rest of your life? That's what grace is. It's not because of our works. It's because of what he's done on our behalf. And if Jesus could be pressed that much so that you can have life, If the greatest pressing you could ever imagine in the history of humanity led to the greatest result, how much more when you receive Jesus in your own life will it change the moments when you are pressed? When you lose that job, when you don't get that opportunity, when you get diagnosed, when you're late to the airport, the little pressings, the big pressings, you actually have an opportunity to have that transformed for the flourishing of others. And there's some of you, it's amazing to watch you be pressed. And it seems like that as God presses you, or maybe it's not so much that God presses you, but as the realities of life press you and God allows it, that actually more beautiful things come out. Infinitely more valuable than orange juice. I mean, if pressed orange juice is more valuable than just an orange, and you are made in the image of God, how much more valuable are the things that can come out of your life in the midst of this season if you allow God to use it? but it's gotta be a choice. You're so much more treasurable and valuable than a cell phone. Don't live like a cell phone. Don't think that you're only valuable when things are good, when things are easy, when you're free, when you have the job, when you're healthy. Don't think that that's the only time that God can use you. You're infinitely more valuable than that. So as we go into this season, As we go on the holidays, Thanksgiving, the shopping, the traveling, the job hunting, the cancer surviving, would you know that you have a God that was pressed for you? And Psalm 68 says this, that daily, what a thought, daily He carries your burdens So as you go through the things in life, know that God doesn't try to avoid it. He doesn't try to just zap you out of it. He goes through it with you, carrying those burdens, carrying those sorrows, carrying that shame, carrying all of it. He knows exactly what you're going through. What an opportunity we have as a church to be that kind of a people, that people will look at our lives individually and as a church that when we are pressed, that terrific things come out. Again, Jesus says in Luke 6.45, out of the overflow of the heart, the tongue speaks. When you choose to surround yourself with people that know their identity in Christ, that find their sense of self-worth from a God who loves them, When you surround yourself with those people who can encourage you and can say, me too, I I make those mistakes, but know that I'm here with you. I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm not gonna leave you. It's okay. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna encourage you. Let's go to prayer. Let's go to God's word. Let me pray for you. You see, if you surround yourself with those kind of people, it's gonna fill your heart up and your life up so much that when you are pressed, because you're gonna get pressed, different things will come out. But if you surround yourself with people where it's always somebody else's fault, where they're blaming everybody else, where they're saying, no, 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 you deserve that, where they're looking for everything else to define their self-worth in terms of the things that they create or whatever it might be, their reputation, if you surround yourself with those people, what's gonna fill up in your heart when it comes out, it's it's gonna be toxic and bitter, and it's not gonna lead to life. So yes, we gather on Sundays, but we are so much more than just a Sunday type of people. We have life groups throughout the week. We have classes throughout the week. We have support groups throughout the week. We serve together throughout the week. We send out people globally throughout the year. You see, that's why we say to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. This is a way of life. What an opportunity we have this season to be pressed in a different way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the infinite love that you give us, this very costly love. It reminds us that the grace that you give us isn't cheap, but you gave your life to have us. So God, would that melt our heart as we see you, Jesus, on the cross? As we can imagine why after that People said, wow, this surely was the son of God. God, we thank you for this time. May we treasure these things in our heart. And may we seek to be filled up more and more this week as we come to you through prayer and in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.